Our Heavenly Father, we bow here once again. We thank you. We praise you. Lord, for all the blessings you give us and just the privilege to come together, to worship together, to love on each other, to encourage each other, to pray for each other. Lord, I thank you for this privilege. Lord, I pray for each one that is lifting up a request here today that, Lord, you would touch them at their point of need. And, Lord, I pray that you would minister to them through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask now that you would open up your word to us, and as we go through the remainder of this service, that we might learn something that would draw us closer to you, challenge our thinking, and increase our faith. For we ask you in the name of Jesus Christ, in him alone. Amen. Okay, why don't you all be seated? Can we get the house lights up? Thank you. There we go. Um, this is the last sermon on this series that we've been doing. We've been 16 weeks into this. This is the 17th now. I know that sounds like an eternity, but um, each week that I would prepare, I just, you know, the Lord would say, here, do this. And so I would do it. And I hope it's been a blessing to you. Um, the uh, Starting next week, I'm going to be starting a new series. Now, here's the title of the series, okay? So listen carefully. You probably aren't going to believe this, but just listen to what I'm, the title of the series. Here's the title. The title of the next series is, Lord, Please Leave Me Alone. <laughs> I'm serious. That's not a joke, okay? So that's the title. I'm not going to tell you what it's about. You have to come and listen and see. But uh, that starts next week. The series that we've been doing for the past several months is God, uh, what God wishes every Christian knew about Christianity. And in this series, I've been trying to simply uh, deal with things that maybe we're not aware of all the time, we don't think of all the time. I think a lot of times we as believers, we tend to think that we know it all. We've heard it all. We've been in church all of our lives. And so there's really not much that this you're going to be able to teach me different from what I've already known or heard. And, and that probably is part of the problem because... I know in my own life, what I thought I knew 25 or 30 years ago has changed over the years, some of those things. Uh, the Lord has taught me more. I've learned more about Him. I've been challenged through not only the Scriptures, but books and people's teaching and things like that. And so I know that there are things in our lives that we think that we know, we have all the answers, and there's not much more that we can learn. But that's really not the case. Um, God has shown me over these years a, a great deal. And the subject of grace, for example, is one of the ones that I've learned probably more than any other area of my life. It seems like every time I thought I had a handle on it or understood the grace of God and, and how big it was, it's like God just blew that up. And um, he said, no, it's bigger than that. No, I'm I'm bigger than that. And and I would have to learn something new, to be challenged with something new that maybe I had not thought about before. Maybe I didn't even believe before or imagined, but nonetheless, God has taken and shown me that. And in this series, that's what I've tried to do. I've tried to take things that maybe you have not thought about and uh, to challenge you with that, challenge your thinking, your thoughts, your theology. And you know what? If nothing else... I hope that you have been challenged to at least learn to continue on studying and learning things because, and, and accept the fact that you don't know it all. Um, and this is why we proclaim and, and, and tell you that it's so important that you be in church on Sunday, that you be in Bible studies and small groups and Sunday school and things like that. Because this is where we challenge each other's thinking and this is where we learn. And 
um, during this series. That's what I've tried to do. Now, here's what I want to do today as I bring the series to a close. I want to sort of give you a summary, not summarizing everything that would take too long, but I want to boil it down into three points that I think, at least, I would want to leave you with. Um, there's a whole lot more, but I don't want to rehash 16 weeks of sermons. So um, I want to boil 16 weeks of sermons down into three little points that I want to leave you with today, and I'm, I hope it doesn't take too long. It's not my, my objective here. But something to, to leave you with that you can think about and, and think to yourself, well, okay, this is probably, if I had to leave this series with something in mind, this might be it. So uh, just bear with me as I go through these. Here's the first thing that I want to challenge you with as I leave this series. Here it is. Whether you realize it or not, you are not the same person you used to be. You may not realize that, but you are not the same person that you used to be. If I've learned one thing through this series, or at least something that I've tried to emphasize, is that fact. Um, because over the years, um, I've had people come into my office from time to time in different ministries, not just this church, but different ones. And they'll sit down in front of my desk. And, and some of the things I tell you today, you've heard through this series, but just let me reemphasize them, okay? And they'll say to me, Pastor, I need to talk to you because I don't believe that I'm a believer. I don't think I'm saved. I'm questioning that. And so I would ask them, well, why do you have doubts about that? What is your problem with this? And they'll say things like this. Well, Pastor, I look at my life, and and I I haven't really changed much. Um, I look at my life, I still have the same struggles, the same weaknesses, the same sins sinful temptations, and it's, I almost think God isn't working with me. God doesn't care about me. This whole Christianity thing just doesn't work for me. So I'm not sure that I'm saved because if I was really saved, things would be different. And um, so I'm just concluding that, and I, I just need to talk to you about that. And so we'll go through a, a long discussion. But the bottom line is this, that whether you realize it or not, and this is the important part, whether you Realize it or not, you're not the same person you used to be. Let me read you this verse. It's a verse that we've used through this series, a verse that we're familiar with, but it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul said this, he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Now, I've heard this preached in several different ways in the past. Uh, most often it's used as, as sort of a club to beat somebody over the head with, to say that if you were really a Christian, you would be different. Because it says right here that as a Christian, you should strive to be different. But in reality, that's not what the verse is saying. If you look at the verse closely, it's telling you that what he's saying has already happened. It's not as though he's trying to challenge you with something. He's trying to convince you of something. He's saying this. He says, anyone who is in Christ, a believer, the new creation has already come. It's already come. And the old, the old you, we talked about this at length, is gone. It's gone. And you say to yourself, well, wait a minute. What if, what if I, I don't feel different? What if I'm not acting different? What if I'm still struggling with the same things I've always struggled with? How can you say that? Here's the reason we can say it, because we're dealing with the subject of your identity. We're not talking about the subject of your behavior. And you need to understand that. 
that regardless of the behavior and what you think or don't think or what you feel and don't feel, this is the reality that God says is true, that you're not the same person you used to be. And I'll guarantee you this too, that if you look at yourself closely or maybe ask somebody that knows you well, what you're going to find is that you have changed. Your behavior has changed. You just don't realize it or recognize it because it's probably been very subtle over the years. But sometimes I think we as Christians still fall back into this mentality that we are trying to perform in order to gain God's acceptance and His love. And I have to struggle with this all the time with believers. I need to perform, I need to do this, I need to be different, I need to change in order to gain God's love and acceptance. And if I can't do that, then God doesn't love and accept me. Therefore, I'm questioning my salvation. And as we've gone through this series, what I've tried to get you to see and to understand is just who it is that you are in Christ. What's your identity? Because you see, that's the most important thing. Because out of your identity comes the, the change in your behavior. But if you don't understand who you are, then you're going to struggle with this. You are a Christian because of, I'm sorry, let me back it up. You are not a Christian because of the way you behave. You are not a Christian because of the way you behave. You are a Christian because God changed your identity. You understand that? He changed who you are. The very core of your being. He changed you. And this is so important because identity defines who you are, not behavior. Identity defines who you are. You're a believer. You are, you are all of these things that we've talked about in the past 16 weeks, whether you realize it or not. Now, see, this is the reason why I'm, I did this series, because you need to realize this. You need to come to grips with this. You need to believe it. Here are some of the things, and we talk about examples of identity. There's some of the things we've talked about over these past four months, okay? The Bible says that you are in Christ, and we talked at length about that one little phrase. This is part of your identity. You're in Christ. Look at the verse here before us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has already come. In other words, he defines you as a believer because of the fact that you're in Christ. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, I don't care who you are, what your background is, what your sin may be. The Bible says that the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are immersed into his life. And we spent weeks on this. That the Bible says you are immersed into Christ and he becomes your life. He becomes your life. Look at this verse. It's in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. He says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now hidden in Him. This is who you are. Say, Pastor, I don't feel like that. I don't always act different. I don't always get victory over things in my life. I, I struggle, Pastor. Yeah, I know. I know, we all do. But the Bible says this is where you are, who you are. You're in Him, and nothing can change that. Here's another example of your identity. We talked about this at length as well. The Bible says that you are a saint. A saint. 
The word sanctified in the Bible simply means to set apart, to make something holy, to make it a saint or sanctified is what it's talking about. Let me read you this verse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says this, he says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy to to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ their Lord and ours and notice what he's saying here he's writing this and he's saying I'm writing it to the church of God in Corinth he said let me be more specific he said I'm writing it to those who have already been made holy in Christ Jesus those who are saints. He addressed many of his letters that way to the church at Ephesus, to the saints there in Ephesus. Um, this is something, a term that's used often of Christians in the Bible. It's not just a, a term that is designated to somebody who lives in a monastery or somebody who thinks that they've, they've arrived at a certain level spiritually. Saint is used for everybody that is in Christ, everybody that is a believer. You're a saint. You're sanctified. And this is who God says you are. And the thing about it is, that's who you are whether you realize it or not. It's true. And the whole point of growing and maturing as a believer is to come to the realization that this is true. To believe it. Because once you believe it and understand it, it impacts the way you live. Here's, we'll talk about that in a minute, but here's a couple of other examples of who you are in Christ, your identity. Uh, the Bible tells us that because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we are children of God. That you and I have been born again. Now, now watch this because, again, we've, we've talked about this, but the Bible says that you not only have been reborn spiritually, but you've been adopted spiritually. And he uses both of those analogies to convey the truth that God has taken you in as his. You belong to him. You have all of the legal rights of a child of God. And whatever God has is yours. Your inheritance. And so again, we ask the question, so I don't feel like it all the time and I don't act like it all the time, but it never changes the reality or the truth that that's who God says I am. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this one, that the Bible says that you and I as believers in Christ are referred to as the bride of Christ. Hmm, the bride. And the Bible chose, God chose, the most intimate relationship to try to convey the intimacy of this relationship between you and your God. And the bond between a husband and wife is so strong, and the bond between you and the Lord is strong as well, that you and I are the, bar, are the bride of Christ. Now, we could go on. There are... Many analogies in the Bible that depict who we are in Christ and our identity. But these are probably some of the more uh, obvious ones, some of the most um, revealing ones. That I am in him, that I am a saint set apart, holy. Regardless of how I behave, I am holy in his sight. That I am his son or daughter, that I am his bride. If you don't know this, if you don't understand this, 
then you know what's going to happen? You're going to always be trying to perform in order to gain God's approval. God won't love me unless I act a certain way. God won't accept me unless I change. And at least the way the Bible portrays it, that the knowing is the most important part because from the knowing who you are comes the change. And you see, once you know that and you understand how deep and wide and magnificent the grace of God is, then comes the motivation to be different. Then comes the desire to serve, to love. How can I love a God when my concept of that God is that he's some ogre in heaven waiting to smash me at the first chance he gets because I don't measure up? We could go around this room and ask each one of you, do you think you measure up to what God wants for you, to who you, what God wants you to be? And we'd all have to say, no, we don't measure up, not in the way that we live and the choices we make. Do you measure up as far as your relationship is concerned and who you are? Yeah. Because God has made me to be that person. And in his sight, that's who I am. And guys, let me tell you something. That's who you are. You are not the same person that you used to be. And this is forever changing. But before anything can change, your beliefs have to change. Because belief, a change in your belief leads to a change in your behavior. And so this is why we spend so much time talking about your position truth about who you really are, your identity. Because if I don't understand the grace of God, I'm not going to be motivated to love my God. And it's because I understand that that I'm motivated. But you know what? Change takes time. Do you realize that you're a work in progress? You are a work in progress. That when God saved you, you didn't have anything to offer Him. He didn't ask anything of you. He said, come to me. Whosoever, come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you peace. And so by faith, we have at some point in our lives come to him. And we've done nothing except to receive what he has for us. And he has declared all of these things now to be true about who we are, changed who we are. This is who you are. You're not that same old person. And now you are a work in progress and I'm going to build you and mold you into what I want you to be over a lifetime of experiences. I don't expect you to be that person right off the bat. And that change takes time. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul said this, he said, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Hmm. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God started the building process. And it is a process. And God says to you, and here's here's the irony of this whole thing. We think, see, we think that for God to love me and accept me, that I've got to 
change. I've got to do something. I've got to become this person. And God says to you and me, that's foolishness because you really can't. But here's what happens. When you come to me, then you are immersed into the life of Christ. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are given spiritual gifts. You're given all of these things, all of these privileges and blessings. You're put in a position to be different. And so now God says, now I will do it through you. And you're going to change, absolutely. Your, your behavior will change because I'm going to do it. I'm going to live it out through you. You're going to, it's like Jesus said in, in John chapter oh, 15. He said, look, he says, I'm the, the vine, you're the branches. I'm going to supply everything you need like a vine does to the branches. And all you have to do is just hold it up. Just show it off. Just be what I want you to be. But I'm going to do it. All you do is yield to me in obedience and in faith and trust me and let me do my thing. But I'll do it. Because you see, what you used to be, you're not that person anymore. You belong to me. And guys, through this whole series, I have tried to drive that truth truth home to you. Because without the knowledge of that, there's really not the motivation to be different. All you have is a religion. Even as a Christian, just religious without your understanding of that. But now here's the second point. First point was whether you realize it or not, you were not the same person you used to be. Here's the second point, okay? There is no excuse for fear or failure in your Christian life. There is no excuse for being afraid and there's no excuse for failing in your Christian life. Well, how can you say that? You just told me that it's not on the basis of behavior. Yeah, I know that. But I told you all the things that God has now done for you that you're not aware of. And I've told you all the blessings and the privileges and the power that he's invested in you. And so now you have no excuse for being afraid of the God that loves you or for failing because of the privileged position that he's put you in. And that's part of what we don't understand sometimes too. You say to me, well, pastor, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand what has happened in my life, that I was abused as a child, I was abandoned, I was divorced, I was whatever. You know, I, I, I've lost everything. My wife is sick, my, my husband is sick. I know that. God knows that. And God still says to you and me, that's not an excuse. You're without excuse. Let me read you this verse. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, here's what Peter says. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Hmm. All right, now don't miss this, okay? Because God is saying to you and me that you and I are without excuse, and here's the reason why. Because God in his divine power, when he did all of these things for you at salvation, when he changed your identity, God gave to you everything you need to live a godly life. 
See, this is the part we don't understand. And we're still out there trying to do it ourselves. And God says, you know what? I, it's my goal to, to, to live it through you. I just need you to be my mouthpiece. I need you to be my hands, my feet. I need your life. I need you to go over here and, and do what I lead you to do and go through this when I say go through it. And that's what I want from you. And I've given you everything you need to be successful. None of us can say, but you don't understand. No, it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that it's not important. I'm not trying to minimize your problems and your situation. I'm just saying it doesn't matter. Because God says you're without excuse. That he's given us everything that we need to live a godly life. In the series that we just finished, here are some of the things in the way of victory that we have experienced. Now listen, I can live a godly life because one of the things God has given me is victory over sin. God has given me victory over sin. He's given you victory over sin in two different ways. Now, there's the positional aspect of this. We'll talk about that in a moment. Then the practical everyday living part of this. But the positional part is when we are justified by blood. The Bible says that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are justified by the blood of Christ. That means that you have been cleansed. To be justified means to be declared righteous. You have been cleansed of all sin. The guilt of everything. Now watch. From the past to what's happening now to the future, it doesn't matter. Because God said that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, everything was still in the future and yet he died for it. And he says to you and me that the moment you put your faith in that and believe it and accept it, that all of these things, these identity analogies, these all truths that take takes place. And he says to you and me that we have been declared righteous because of the blood we are clean. So think of God as a judge judging the world. And the judge says to the entire world, you are guilty and because you're guilty, you're separated from me. I can never enter into a relationship with you because you are guilty of sin and I can't be associated with that. But then the judge says this. He says, I will make the payment to take care of the sin, to get rid of the guilt, and you are no longer, in a judicial sense, guilty. That as a judge, I'll no longer be angry at you. I will no longer slap the law against you. You are free. What about in the future, God? That too, it's covered. It's all under the blood. And you're clean. So you're clean in a judicial sense in that God is not angry at you anymore. As his children, we talked about this at length, that now we have a responsibility because we're in a relationship not as a judge to a person standing before him to be condemned, but we're in a relationship as a father to a son or a daughter. And because I've shamed my dad, sometimes God disciplines. But God's even taking care of that because he says that if you confess your sins as a child of God, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive those sins. And the discipline is thwarted or postponed or put off. 
So now think about this. Because I've got victory, and so do you, over sin in a judicial sense through the blood of Christ and in a parental sense because I have a father that is eager to forgive me when I confess. That's victory. And he says to you and me, I'm going to give you the power, the strength to say no to those temptations you keep giving into. You don't have to live that way. You don't. Victory. I have no excuse, and you and I need to realize this, that whenever we fall into temptation, as we say, as though we had nothing to do with it, God says you have no excuse. I put you in a privileged position where you can have victory. Just claim it. Just claim it. So I'm without excuse because God has given me victory over sin. You know what else he's given me? We talked about this too in this series. He's given me victory over Satan. He's given me victory over Satan. The Bible says that God has disarmed him, taken away all of his power against me. And the only power that he has now against you and me is that if we believe the lies that he whispers into our soul, when he tells you you're no good, when he tells you God doesn't love you, when he tells you you deserve this, the grass is greener on the other side, whatever. You don't have to give in to that. Because God says to you and me, you have been given victory over him too. I disarmed that rascal. And all you need to do is to stand the armor of God in Ephesians. We talked about this. He said, you put these things on. In other words, they're just practical things like faith and righteousness and knowing the Word of God and so forth. He says, when you do these things, he said, you'll be able to stand against anything that comes your way. You have been given victory. Now, how often have we blamed that old buzzard for all of our problems? Satan made me do it. Satan's too strong. I can't stand against him. And God says, "Mm, go back to this verse. I have given you everything you need for a godly life. I've given you victory over him too. But there's a third thing as far as victory goes, as far as not having an excuse, and that is victory over death. Victory over death. Now, why does that matter? Do you know the thing that bothers most people in life is life ending. That's what bothers us. That's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of cancer. We're afraid of heart attacks. We're afraid of all these things. And ultimately, we're afraid to die. And even us as believers are afraid to die because we don't know the experience You know, it's been said, I don't mind death, I just don't like dying. You know, golly, as I look out here, some of you are going to die of cancer. Some of you are going to die in horrible automobile accidents, you know, various ways. The older I get, I don't know what this is, the older I get, the less I want to fly in an airplane. You You feel that way? When I was young, it didn't matter. I don't know why. I had more to lose then, you know. But when I get older, I don't think that thing's going to stay up. And I find my, and I never understood why that is, but I'm finding myself less excited about flying. And, and you think, well, if you know where you're going, why are you afraid of dying? Well, I'm not afraid of where I'm going. I'm just afraid of the process. And I don't like pain. Um, but you know what? Here's the deal. God says to you and me, he says that you and I have already been seated in heaven. Ooh-wee. Already been seated there. And that you and I need to be looking at that 
And that reality needs to be changing the way we live here on this earth. That you and I are seated with him already. Because in the mind of God, time doesn't exist. It's the, 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 the death on the cross is just as real as the second coming. I mean, it's all together in his mind. And he says, you're already there. Because you're in me. We're without excuse, okay? God wants you as his child to trust him, to walk with him, to learn from him, to obey him, and to be victorious in this life. And oftentimes we make it more difficult than it is because all we need to do is reach out by faith and claim it because God said, I've already won it. And this is the problem with most of us as Christians. We don't know that we've already won. We don't. And we're afraid, we're timid, and we stand back in the shadows trying to live our Christian life without ever taking a risk. And God doesn't want that. Here's the third thing, very quickly. Let me close this up. The third thing that I want you to remember through this series. There was no excuse for fear and failure. Here's the third one. God's goal is not... To make you happy. Ooh. That seems kind of crass or abrasive. Let me explain it to you, okay? Many times I talk to Christians. And our perception of the Christian life goes something like this. That I'm a Christian. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And now God wants to make me happy. Because I'm his child. And the Bible never teaches that. The Bible never teaches that God has the desire to make you happy. Now, here's what I mean by that. Whenever we talk about happiness, happiness is usually the result of circumstances. If I have all the money I need, don't have to worry about that, and I'm in good health and my kids are safe and in good health, I'm happy. And you and I both know that when the sun is shining and the weather's good, you can be out on the lake fishing or on the golf course, you're happy because the circumstances are such that it allows you to be happy. But for crying out loud, what do you do when the circumstances are are different? What do you do when your life falls apart? Then you look at God and say, well, wait a minute, you, you told me you were going to make me happy. And God says, no, I didn't. Never said that. Do you know what I promised you? You go back and read the Bible, he says, you know, do you know what I promised you? I promised you joy. And that's different. Because you see, joy doesn't depend on circumstances. Joy is something that God generates within you through the Spirit of God. This is the reason why it's listed as one of the fruits of the Spirit. That the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and all that. Those are things that God generates within you when you as a Christian pursue Him with your whole hearts. God says that the Spirit of God wells up inside of you and you, your whole life could be falling apart around you. Your spouse has left you. Your kids are doing things they shouldn't be doing. You don't have any money. You lost your job. Your health is failing. And you can still have joy in the middle of that mess because God generates that within you. And it doesn't depend on circumstances. God says, that's what I promised you. I promised you that you could have that as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because you see, here's the catch. We think God is is all about making you and me happy. And God says, no, I'm all about maturing you. 
Now notice this, okay? Don't lose this. I am reluctant, even though we use the terminology, to talk about Christians as being mature Christians. Because that's really misleading. Nobody has arrived, okay? You know, you'd like to think of your pastor as a mature Christian, but he's really not. We're not going to go into much, too much detail on that one, okay? But I'm, I'm just telling you, he's really not because he's a work in progress just like you. And I've told you before, you catch me driving around Athens, it's slow drivers, you're going to find out i got a lot of room to grow here, okay? But the point is this, that we are all maturing, we're all growing, and God's goal is that that happens, and the more faith is I, the more that my faith develops, the stronger it becomes, then the more mature I become. But just as soon as I get to that point of, of, of learning what God wants me to learn, then something else happens and something else just crosses my path and I'm in a, and I'm always in a, a state of learning, of changing and growing. And so this is what God says that I want for you. See, I want to grow your faith. I want you to become more obedient to me. I want you to walk more closely with me. I want you to know me the way that I had planned from the beginning. That you would know your identity, what I've done for you. That you would marvel at my grace. See, I want all those things for you. And unfortunately, sometimes, the only way we learn those things is through suffering. So God says, no, I'm not about happiness. I'm about taking you through times that are going to stretch you beyond measure. Times where you can't do anything but look up at me and pray to me and trust me. Because that's part of the maturing process. And so, no, God is not about trying to make you happy. God will give you joy as a byproduct when you pursue Him and trust Him with all of your heart. I want to close this sermon today in, in reality to close out this entire series with this verse. And listen to it very carefully. We've looked at it before, but I want to close with this because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, here's what Paul said. And that is what, well, let me give you the context first. Okay, you're not going to understand how this opens. He has gone down through in, in the previous verses and given a laundry list of sins. And he said, now, this is not what you're supposed to be like. You know, this is what the lost world acts like. Don't you act like this. And then he makes this statement. And this is what some of you were. And what happened? What changed them? Well, Watch. He said, this is what some of you were, but here's what happened. You were washed in the blood. You were sanctified, made holy. You were justified, declared righteous. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Guys, that's what has happened to you. You're not the same person. You are different whether you realize it or not. What God wants you to do is to realize this reality and to bring your living, your experiences, your way of life, your behavior, bring it up to where he says you already are now. 
The way you live should match your identity. And that's what the Christian life is all about. That I, as a child of God who has been washed in the blood, who has been made holy and declared righteous, declared righteous, that I begin to live that kind of life. That's what God wants. And so as I close this series out, this is my challenge. Okay? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Are you going to believe the lies? Are you going to step out in faith and believe who you are because God said it? Because God said it. And this is what identity is all about. I believe these things because God said them. I don't always feel like this person. I don't always feel forgiven. Gosh, there's sometimes you just feel dirty. I don't always feel holy. Oh, my goodness, who, who does? Righteous? Mm. There are times when I'm not, and I don't feel righteous. But by faith, I know he said I am. And when I know that, then it will change the way I live. Don't ever let anybody rob you for that joy, okay? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You know, if you're here this morning and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, then I want to challenge you to do that today. Right there where you sit. The Bible says that God loves you, that Jesus died to pay for your sins, to appease a holy God. And that by putting your faith in that, God says that you have as a free gift eternal life. You enter into this relationship with me. You are in me. With all that, all that that means, you know, is yours. But will you do that this morning right there where you sit? Turn to Jesus Christ and say, I have sinned. I am a sinner. But I believe that you died on a cross for me. And today, I trust you. I believe it. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we are overwhelmed with the reality of who you are and all that you have done for us and who you say we are and our identity. And Lord, you keep blowing up our concept of your, of your grace. It keeps getting bigger and bigger. The more we study, it just grows. Our heads are spinning and we just marvel. Father, may that concept become such a reality to us that it alters our entire lifestyle. Lord, that each one of us would be committed to walk with you, committed to love you, committed to serve you. Father, that is our request now, that you would help us to become that kind of people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.